Morning. I'm Byron Myers, so <clears throat> I guess I'm preaching today. You know, have you ever noticed how family members start to look alike? You know, uh, maybe husbands and wives, but fathers and sons and daughters and stuff like that. Uh, let me show you a picture here. Uh, on one side is my daughter, Carrie when she was maybe two or three years old. And on the other side, well, thank you. <laughs> Excuse me. Details. Uh, details, yeah. Carrie. The other one is Caitlin, my granddaughter. At... No, she is not either. Thank you, Mary Beth. Mary Beth was sharing that on Facebook, and, and so I cut those pictures. But you can see the similarity between them, even passing through generations. And uh, a few weeks ago, um, my sister turned 60 years old, and Carrie and Kelly were able to go to Denver to celebrate her 60th birthday. And when they came back, they showed me pictures and videos of uh, my little sister, uh, Diana, and, and I was looking at those pictures, and I thought, that's my mom. She's even wearing the same moo-moos that my mom used to wear. And, and she's got that face, that, that cute face and, and uh, Hawaiian-looking eyes and everything. And my mom was Hawaiian. And so uh, she looks like my mom. And I thought, wow. That's, you know. And then my older sister was there too, uh, Leslie. She's a couple years older than I am, um, and 67 just for details. Anyway, she's a couple of years older than I am, and uh, I was looking at pictures of her, and I thought, that's my dad's sister. That's Aunt Velma. She looks just like her, and as I was thinking about Leslie and Aunt Velma, they have the same characteristics. They had that same smile, that same vibrant uh, excitement about life, and you know, uh, just did things just the same way. There's those family characteristics. And, and I thought, man, family characteristics follow on, don't they? And then as I was shaving this morning and every morning, I look in the mirror and I see this waddle. <laughs> and I say, thank you, Dad, for passing on my waddle. That's why I go, get, grew a beard so it would cover it up. And then uh, my, my bags under my eyes, and I think, thank you, Dad, for the Myers bags, you know, because all the Myers family have these bags under their eyes. But we, we have those physical characteristics and even the, the uh, you know, other characteristics, too. I sit outside on my patio and I watch my grandkids play in the pool or, you know, Jonathan's got his sword and he's doing stuff, and I just sit there and I just watch them. And I thought back to my dad sitting on the back of his patio and my two kids coming over and playing in the backyard and he's sitting there watching them and drinking his coffee. And, and I think, I'm becoming more and more like my dad. I'm taking on those characteristics. I'm, I'm taking on the characteristics. In many ways, we begin to resemble those who have preceded us and have poured their lives into us. We take on their characteristics. Amen? Amen. And you all have seen that in your own families, haven't you? 
This isn't something just unique to me, but I think every family has that too. We, we start to take on the character, some good, some bad, you know, but we start to take on those characteristics. And last week we learned that you are the children of God, aren't you? God is your Father, right? Righteousness is a family characteristic of the Father and His children, right? We need to start taking on those characteristics of uh, the children. You can recognize believers by their lives and not just their lips, amen? It's what we do, like what we were singing in that song, not who, just what we say, but what we do, what we do. Jesus said that you will know his disciples by their love for one another. And throughout the book of 1 John, we've been reminded that we are to love, that we are to live a righteous life. Jesus, God is our Father, Abba Father. Doug talked about that last week. He's our Abba Father, that very close, intimate relationship with him. Since we are born of him, we are to practice righteousness. We are to purify ourselves. We're to become more like him, to take on the Father's characteristics. Amen? And, and I think our passage this morning, it does three things in my mind, and, and those are the three points. It, it reminds us that Jesus Christ came to redeem and renew sinners by paying the penalty of sin and by defeating the works of the devil. And in addition, it reveals the family characteristics of the children of God and the children of the devil. So that's what our passage is going to be dealing with. You should be in what book now? First John. John. Chapter what? Three. Okay, just checking. Make sure we're all on the same page. Chapter three, and we're starting in verse four. Okay, so if you want to read along with me as I read out loud. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, I think there are three points that I want to bring out to you this morning. And the first one is that Jesus came to deliver us from sin. Jesus came to deliver us from sin. And those first few verses, especially in uh, verse um, 5, you know 
that he appeared in order to take away sins. And I want to just kind of camp on that one. That, that, that's our first point. You know, you know something, that something is critical. It's important. It's life-changing. It's exceptional. And you need to know that you know that you know that you know it. You know? Jesus appeared. He manifested himself. He came as he left heaven and he became a man so that he could die on the cross to, to, be, to pay the price for our sins. And as we accept him, we have salvation. He's delivered us from sin. And we need to know that we know that we know that we know that. Amen? That's got to be settled. That's got to be something that is not... Well, I'm not sure today, you know. It's not something that, that, that you, you want to leave hanging in the air. It's something that you need to know. And I think that's what John is saying. Past, present, and future. He's covered it all. Amen? Because when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, how many sins of ours were future? All of them. They weren't past. They weren't present. They were all future. Jesus took care of all of that, past, present, and future. And so I want to leave you or, or give you some theological words, if you will. Maybe something that you can chew on and meditate and study during the week. The first one is justification. Justification. And I want you to turn in the Bible to Romans chapter 3, verses 21. So just kind of uh, flip back to Romans. Yep. I got to get the right place. Are we all there? Okay. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ, whom God publicly displayed, displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. Justification. Jesus came to deliver us from our sin, our past tense. Uh, he has fully covered the penalty for all our sins. We stand as if we had never sinned. That's what justification is talking about. The definition in, in a, a biblical a theological uh, dictionary says, it's defined as that judicial act of God by which... On the basis of the meritorious work of Christ, imputed to the sinner and received through faith, God declares the sinner absolved from sin, released from its penalty, and restored as righteous. Righteousness is a characteristic of God's family members. We need to be righteous. And it says here that we know that we know that we have been saved, past tense, we have been justified by faith. Amen? And then the second thing is sanctification. 
I want you to turn back to the book of John, chapter 17, verse 13. And in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples on their, their, their last meal together. He's praying that high priestly prayer for, for them and for all of us. So when he says you, he's not just talking about the disciples, he's talking about you. Okay? So starting in verse 13, it says, But now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the, word has, the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves, they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Sanctification, the second part of that salvation that Jesus Christ gave to us uh, by appearing that first time, by coming as a child and dying on the cross. Jesus helps us to live a righteous daily life. He allows us to make full use of 1 John 1, 9. What does 1 John 1, 9 says? If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He takes care of that day by day. Um, <clears throat> we need to become more like Him. Sanctification is defined as the process or result of being made holy. He's making us holy day by day. He's making us consecrated. He's consecrating us and setting us apart for His use so that we might be at that holy vessel, that we might be used by God. This is part of what we need to know, that God is sanctifying us day by day, day by day. He's working in us. So we are being delivered, present tense, from our sins too. We need to know that we know that we know that. And finally, back in 1 John chapter 3, and in verse 2, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, the second coming, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. That third part of, of what he wants us to know is glorification. We are going to be glorified. Amen? That's something, some days I want to be there more. You know, I, I'm ready, Lord. Come quickly. This is the time. And, and, but it's already a done deal. Jesus' first appearing settled it all. He justified us, he sanctified, and he glorified us. It's already done in heaven. And when, when he comes, when the trumpet sounds and, and the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed and be like him. And we will live with him forever, for eternity. That glorification was taking place in, the, in that first appearing of Jesus Christ. And John wants us to know that we know that we know that we're justified, that we're sanctified, and that we will be glorified. Amen? We need to know that. 
Now, uh, a few weeks ago, we went to uh, Spirit West Coast, my wife and I, uh, the one in Ontario here uh, at the uh, amphitheater there. And in, in the uh, lineup was a guy named Phil Wickham. Uh, and I guess he's a local guy from San Diego even. But one of the songs that he sang, I think, encapsulates what it means to be delivered from our sin. And I want you to listen to it. Sing along with it if you feel uh, like doing that. And just uh, know that you know that you know that you're saved. This is amazing grace.
Amen. Amen. Jesus came to deliver us from our sins. And then number two, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And I want to zero in on this next part. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. You know, he, he starts out by using that term of endearment, little children, little children, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. It shows the depth of his love and his relationship with them and with us. He's saying we're part of his family. We're part of his family. He wants us to know that he is deeply concerned that we do not fall for the lies and deception of the enemy. Make sure that you're not led astray. And in, in that verse 8, he says, Jesus appeared. That same word that he used before. He appeared. He manifested himself. He came in the flesh for another purpose as well. And this purpose is to destroy the works of the devil. Now, I want to ask you, if Jesus came for that purpose, have the works of the devil been destroyed? Yeah, right? Because Jesus did that, right? Jesus appearing, Jesus manifesting, destroyed the works of the... That's what it says. Now, does, does the enemy know that? I guess not, because he keeps trying, doesn't he? And we've been talking about that all the way through the book of 1 John. You know, he keeps, he keeps trying to uh, give us the lie over and over and over. Pastor Doug has told us, you know, the devil's using that same lie over and over. The template for deception starts by confusing us, confusing us, and then the devil gives them the lie, and they tempt them to become like God, to do it your own way instead of God's way. That's the lie. That's, that's the one that, that Satan uses over and over and over. In the garden, the devil told the lie, gave the temptation. And I, I remember what Doug said, it's a trap! <laughs> right? If you know Star Wars, you know. <laughs> it's a trap. That's the first thing I thought of. But it is a trap. The devil is trying to deceive you. And John is saying, don't be deceived. It's a trap. Don't fall into that one. Don't fall for the works of the devil. And uh, let's, let's go back to the book of John in John 8. Jesus is talking to some people. Jesus uh, was, was being tested by the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people. And at the beginning of chapter 8, they bring to him an adulterous woman caught in the midst. They didn't bring the man, but they brought the woman. And they said, this woman should be stoned. And Jesus turned it all upside down, didn't he? He, he, he? he mixed it all up and said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then they kind of went away. And then Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And they wouldn't believe that. They wouldn't believe that he was the light of the world. 
You know, so they, they kept hearing Jesus and be, not believing what Jesus had to say. And so in verse 41, Jesus tells them right out, you are doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, that is the works of the, that's the works of the devil. He's a liar. That's his nature. That's who the devil is. And every lie comes from him. That's the source. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You know, I, later on, you know what the, uh, the Jews and the Pharisees did a little bit later on in the chapter? After they talked this about, he, he told them, you're of the devil. And that, they didn't get too mad about that. But later on he said, I am. He said he was God. And that's when they picked up the stones. You know, it started out with the adulterous woman. Then they picked up the stones and they wanted to stone Jesus. And Jesus was able to get away. But that's, those are the people of the devil. Those are the kinds of people that, that, that we need to look out for. And I, as I was thinking of this, I was reminded of a time when I first became a Christian. I was so excited about the Lord and uh, back in 1972. And, and I, I thought, man, I want to tell everybody. And I tried to tell my parents, and they didn't want to hear about God. They didn't want to hear about Jesus. That wasn't something that was part of their, their life. And, and so we had some arguments about that over time. And I had uh, recently found out that you were either a child of God or a child of the devil. And I thought, oh, that's good. So in my argument, to make my case, I told them, well, you're just doing what the devil tells you to do. They didn't like that. <laughs> they did not like that. And, and they kicked me out of the house. And so I ended up at my pastor's house at 2 o'clock in the morning having coffee with him and talking about better ways to talk about uh, Jesus. You know, concentrate on the positive side of it and don't tell people. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend Jesus' tactic here uh, unless you really know that person that you're talking to. You know, he, he, he kept that and he'd said it, didn't he? Your children, your children of your father, the devil. Um, but um, just be judicious in the way you use that. <laughs> Another works of the uh, devil, I want, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 13 and verse 11 and 12. Talking about the works of darkness and the works of the devil. Okay. And it says, Do this knowing the time, 
that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. You know, the devil is darkness. Jesus is light. We've talked about that before. John has used this uh, throughout the, the book of 1 John. He uses it in, in the gospel of John too. Darkness, that is the works of the devil. Light is what Jesus is talking about. We need to lay aside the works of darkness, the deeds of darkness, and put on the armor of light. Light, we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. We need to have the light of Jesus in us. We need to be filled with Jesus. We need to be, uh, you know, have him illuminate us all the time and not the darkness that comes from the devil's influence. And so Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's his second purpose. That's what he wants to do. And then the third purpose, uh, the third uh, point that I have uh, out of this passage is that Jesus came to demarcate, to separate the children of God from the children of the devil. And it, it's basically in that last section, but actually it goes all the way through the, these, this passage from verse 4 all the way uh, to uh, verse uh, 10. You know, and if you look at verse 10, it says, By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. By this. And, and what he's talking about is all the things that he said above that and even the, the last two things. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Uh, but, but what I want to key in on is that there are children of light, Children of God and children of the devil. And it's obvious. It's plain. You can know that. You don't have to scratch your head. You, you can know it's very plain when you see the works of the devil. It's very plain when you see the works of God. Amen? And so all the way through there, he talks about um, those kinds of people. The children of God and the children of... of let, let me show you. Here's a, a chart. And I want you to go back to the beginning of the passage. Verse 4. Okay? And so all throughout this, verse 4 it says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. So what are some marks of the devil? Practices sin, practices lawlessness. So he, he stated that at the very beginning. He wants to make sure you understand that those are the children of the devil. And then he goes on and he says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. What do we say there? The children of God have knowledge. You know this. You know that you know that you know that you're saved. Past, present, and future. You have knowledge. That's what sets us apart from the children of the devil. They don't know. They don't know. They don't understand. They can't understand because it takes the Holy Spirit to allow us to understand the truth of, the, of Jesus' death and resurrection for us. Amen? So that's knowledge. And in Him is no sin. 
It says, in him there is no sin. In Jesus there is no sin. And then it says, little children, make sure no one deceives you. Okay? So the children of the devil are deceived and they deceive. So that's a mark of the children of the devil. Uh, The one who practices righteousness is righteous. So over on the children of God, practices righteousness. That's the children of God. Just as he is righteous. We do it just like God. We take our family characteristic from him. And then it goes on in verse 8. The one who practices sin (laughs) is of the devil. Again, he uses it twice. I don't know exactly why he did it twice, but he did. He used it twice. Uh, For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And then it says, no one who is born of God practices sin. So we're born of God. We are born of God. That's the next thing. And he cannot sin. Now, Doug, you're going to have to look into that a little bit more and let us know uh, what exactly that means. Because I, I scratched my head a lot about that. I gave you these verses. Did I? <laughs> well, I'm giving them back. <laughs> and I know that, that, that all throughout he's talking about practicing sin and not practicing sin. And I, I think that's what is, is in mind there. But it does say cannot sin. And, and so that's a mark of the children of God. And his seed abides in him. You know, we, we said back in verse 6, we abide in Him. And I think I skipped over that. So, uh, we abide in Him. And that's great, isn't it? We need to abide in Him. But it also says His seed abides in us. That is much more comforting. Because He did it. <laughs> he did it. And that seed, that, that, that Holy Spirit, that, that presence within us of Jesus abides in us. Because He is born of God. And we're born of God. Okay. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness, that's over on the children of the devil, and does not love his brother. So I think that's what, one of the things that, that John was trying to let them know. Hey, there are two different kinds of people out there, and you need to be aware of that. You need to be able to point them out because it's obvious. When you run into people that are living in righteous, in sin and lawlessness and, and haven't seen him and know him, they're deceived. When you see those people, you, you know who they are. When you see other people that are living in righteousness, practicing righteousness, born of God, their seed abides in them, they, they cannot sin, they have knowledge, those are the children of God. And so John wants us to recognize that there's a demarcation between those. So those are the, the, the three points that I, wanted to, that I felt came out of this passage from 4 to 10. You know, that Jesus first came to, dis, to deliver us from sin, to destroy the works of the devil, and to make it clear to us, make it obvious to us who is of God and who is of the devil. But I thought I, I wanted to leave something a little bit more with you, some, you know, the, that idea of family characteristics. There's some family characteristics that I like that, that my dad passed on to me. Some of them I don't. 
but the, the ones that I do like, I practice them. I do them. And so I want to leave you with four things that you can do to allow those family characteristics that God wants to make real in your life. And the first one is to walk by the Spirit. And uh, turn to you in Galatians, if you will. We're turning a lot in here. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. <clears throat> but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. When I was in seminary, uh, at the end of seminary, I had to do a, a master's thesis. And uh, the, the master's thesis that I chose, the title, was Substance or Semantics. And it was a discussion of the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, from a Pentecostal standpoint versus walking in the Spirit from a more um, uh, Baptist uh, the theological bent. And my thesis was that we have a work of the Holy Spirit in us. Amen? And we can all agree that the Holy Spirit is working in the life of a Christian. The Holy Spirit, whether we call it one thing or another, the work is still going on. God is still working in us. And, and the way that we say it can be different. And, and I believe that walking in the Spirit, that's part of what we need to do as believers, that we need to walk day by day in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit day in and day out. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit to be the Christians, to share those characteristics that He wants us to have. And, and it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do that. Amen? That's, that's, that's what that work of the Spirit is. And, and, you know, I came from a Pentecostal background. And so I, I saw some things that were called baptism of the Holy Spirit that didn't quite fit, that weren't quite what I thought were right. And so I, I had to study that and see, you know, what does the Word of God say? You know, there is a work of the Spirit. And that work of the Spirit is for every believer. Every one of us needs to be filled with the Spirit. Every one of us needs to walk in the Spirit. And no matter how you talk about it, you need to have the Spirit. Amen? Amen. So that's the first thing. Family characteristics will come out when you walk by the Spirit. The second thing in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse 3 through 8. Great verses. Great verses in 2 Peter. It talks about promises that God has given to us. Okay, verse. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. 
Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to live a life of God's characteristics? Do you want to be fruitful and useful to God? Then you need to stand on these promises. You need to take those precious, magnificent promises that God has given you. Self-control, moral excellence, knowledge, uh, perseverance, godliness, love, brotherly kindness. You need to add them to your life. You need to build them into your life day by day by day. And God has given... How how much of, of this has God given to us back at the beginning? Everything. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's already given it to us. We just need to walk in it. We need to stand on those promises. Amen? And then the third thing, John 15, back in the book of John, the gospel of John, John 15, starting... Uh, Jesus is talking about the vine and the vine dresser, and he says, Abide in him. Abide in him. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Again, if you want to be fruitful, if you want to have the characteristics of God in your life, you need to abide in Him. You need to get your sustenance from Him. You need to be grafted into the vine and allow Jesus to give you everything that you need. And that's being uh, abiding in Him. And finally, John 13, 34 and 35 tells us this. And we've heard this before, and we will hear it again, because this is part of what 1 John is all about. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. The true mark of a believer is the love that we share. And not just, uh, you know, in big things, but I think it's the little things that we do day in and day out. How you treat that server at the restaurant. How you treat that person at the grocery store that's bagging your groceries. How you treat the people at the gas station. Those kinds of little acts of kindness can do more good for the kingdom of God than any big thing. You know, my daughter's in Rwanda now doing great work for the Lord, but I bet you it's going to be those little things that happen all along the way that she's going to remember how God used her to touch lives, how God used you to touch lives. Love, love God, love people, and guess what? We can change the world, amen? Amen. So what do you want to do? Who do you want to look like? Whose family are you part of? 
Let's take on those family characteristics. Let's begin to look like the God of heaven. Amen? Let's stand together and we'll close. <clears throat> Lord God, we want to thank you.